So what do you want out of life? Do you want a better body? Do you want to make more money? Do you want a deeper love relationship? All of these topics for the past 22 years we have covered to help you become more alive in life, and we're doing it again right now. Welcome to America's Positive Radio Talk Show. David Essel in the box with you, broadcasting live on the Studio E in Los Angeles, California, XM Satellite Radio 246, streaming worldwide at talkdavid.com, 6 to 9 Eastern, 3 to 6 Pacific every Saturday. Let your friends know we are on the air for them as well. Proud to be part of the Premier Radio Network, our toll-free number, 1-800-548-8255, 1-800-548-8255. Coming up in just a, mo- a moment, one of my favorite guests that we've had on in the past, he's the author of 13 books, Dr. Johnny Bowden is going to be with us talking about weight loss, talking about weight loss, and it's a surprise to some people when we say, could it be that exercise is blown out of proportion in regards to its effectiveness? Like a lot of times people think all you have to do is exercise and you're going to lose weight. Dr. Johnny is going to share with us. As a matter of fact, let's go to him right now. Dr. Johnny, you're on the air. Is it true that exercise... How are you, David? Great to talk to you. It is great to talk to you again. Is it true that exercise is not everything that we think it is in regards to weight loss, Dr. Johnny? I'm afraid so. I'm afraid it's quite true. Um, you know, whenever I talk about this, whether it be on the radio and workshops, you know, in, in, in articles, people uh, get very bent out of shape because they think I'm saying exercise doesn't matter. They think I'm saying exercise is ineffective. Um, nothing could be further from the truth. Exercise is probably the best anti-aging strategy on the planet. It, right. it is, there's probably nothing you could do that would be more effective at, 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 at reducing risks for multiple diseases, from cancer to diabetes to heart disease to obesity, uh, to uh, staying sharp mentally, uh, to keeping your heart working well into your ninth decade. Nothing you could do that would be more effective than exercise. Well, is the problem here is that we're expecting exercise to do something it doesn't do very well, and that's cause us to lose weight. So it's not that exercise, we shouldn't be doing it, but we shouldn't be expecting that it will be an effective way to drop pounds. It just isn't. We've been sold a bill of goods about that particular uh, uh, characteristic of exercise. And why is that? Why, why is it that it doesn't live up to all the expectations? Oh, man, there, you know, we are debating this one all over the map. There are several different theories. Uh, I'm not, as you, as you and I have talked about, I, I believe that weight gain is driven by hormones. Calories right. are part of that, but they're not the whole story. We've got to look at the effect that food has on fat storing uh, hormones and, and, and fat burning hormones. So uh, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm saying this as a caveat to what I'm about to say. I don't believe calories are the whole picture, but let's just go with the calorie theory just for now as a convenience. If you, if you uh, exercise for an hour, you might burn five or 600 calories if you're really efficient. One right. bad meal at McDonald's, it's wiped out. <laughs> so people have a very, even if you just use the calorie theory, and, I, and as I said, I'm not a 100% believer in the calorie theory, but it's a convenient shorthand here because people can wrap their minds around it. If you go for a, a mocha latte at Starbucks for 450 <laughs> calories, you know, and right. one extra cookie that day, goodbye your hour of exercise. And most yes. people don't put in an hour of exercise. So when, right. we're, when we're eating badly 
and expecting exercise to take up the deficit, it's a fool's equation. It doesn't work. That's number one. That's only, that's only the simplest hypothesis. Then there have been hypotheses to, uh, that, that state and, and good evidence to back this up that we get hungrier when we exercise. So mm. we sometimes compensate by eating more calories, therefore knocking out the calorie-burning gain of the exercise. Remember, I didn't say you knock out the heart-strengthening or the right. brain-strengthening or the immune system-strengthening or the depression-alleviating benefits, not at all. But in terms of weight loss, in terms of burning more calories than you take in, you just wiped it out. And, and that's why personal trainers have said for years that you can't out-train a bad diet. If you're Michael right. Phelps and you're doing eight hours a day of Olympic-quality swimming and you're burning 10,000 calories, sure, it's going to be very, very good at keeping your weight down. But most of us, at best, you're doing a half an hour to an hour three or four <laughs> times a week. It's right. just not going to balance out bad eating. Yes. Now, what about for those people that are doing intense strength training, increasing lean muscle tissue so their body becomes an eight-cylinder body and burning calories versus a four-cylinder? What about that? Well, of course. I mean, look, we're we're talking exercise is such a big, broad tent. It's everything from training for a marathon to walking uh, three times a week at at a moderate clip to doing hardcore German volume body training to, you know, for the Mr. Olympia. You know, exercise encompasses all this. And so there are different demographics. There's the sedentary 54-year-old male executive that, you know, has a big belly. And then there's the, you know, the, the, the primal blueprint kind of Mark Sisson kind of guy who's doing triathlons and uh, triathlons and, and, you know, Hawaiian Ironman and things like that. So you've you right. got to look at what the goal is. People who are doing that kind of heavy lifting, you're, you used a great example. You said you're turning it into an 8 or a 12-cylinder car. Well, those kind of cars burn more gas. So yes. that kind of body with that kind of musculature is going to burn more calories. It takes more calories to keep muscle alive than it does to keep fat alive. So, yes, it is going to stimulate the metabolism. But remember, we're talking about elite athletes who are training with heavy weights several times a week. Most of our people aren't doing that. Right. Well, as a matter of fact, when we say most of the people aren't doing that, Dr. Johnny, you probably know the stats better than I. The last time I looked at them, about 15% of the U.S. population exercises three to four days a week. Yeah, I don't know what the current stats are, but I do know that the devil is in the details, and you have to look at the definition of exercise. On some of these surveys, they consider walking for 20 minutes a week to be exercising. Oh, that's so wonderful. We, th- those figures are probably <laughs> inflated. They're probably higher than the number of people who are what right. you and I would consider seriously exercising. You know, three yeah. to five times a week, moderate to high intensity, actually doing something, because they, they, they define that in some of these surveys so loosely that literally the, the guy that gets up and does 15 minutes of gardening on a Sunday is considered an exerciser. Yeah, right, right, right. So let's say that 8% of the U.S. population exercises regularly. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we have and we have what? 60 to 70% overweight. Yeah, exactly. Overweight or obese. Yeah. But the, yeah. but you see uh, this brings us to a very, there's a very complicated debate going on right now about whether or not, you know, we have an obesity crisis and whether obesity is really driven by simply the the, the two things that we've been told it is, which is people don't exercise enough and they eat too many calories. We're finding out that it's far more complex than that. It's a multi-hormonal dance that's affected by everything from obesogens in the environment, environmental hormone disruptors, 
fetal environment of your mother, what your grandmother ate. I mean, all of these things are being found to be powerful modulators of obesity. So the old idea that, you know, the reason we're so fat is that nobody's jogging is kind of really, really out of date at this point. Uh, okay. So, yeah, okay. So so if you're looking at, we, we have about a minute and a half, we're going to go to a quick break here, Dr. Johnny, but if you're looking at hormones, is there any help whatsoever? Well, yeah, absolutely. Look, if, if, if the hormone theorists are right, and I am certainly one who casts my lot with those guys, I think that they're spot on. If, if weight gain is driven by hormones, the primary hormone that's responsible for that is insulin. Insulin responds very strongly to your food choices. So to me, the number one with a bullet action to take for people who want to lose weight is to bring their insulin levels down, and you can do that with diet. End of story. Wow. Wow. And, and if someone was going to do that, what would be the main foods they would have to remove? Okay, it's very oh, simple. As a matter of fact, Dr. Johnny, Dr. Johnny, here's that magical music in the background. We're going to go to a break, so we're going to hold that. When Dr. Johnny Bowden comes back, we're going to talk about the main foods to be able to keep your hormones in check and your weight off. Hey, listen, I want to recommend that you go to Dr. Johnny's website. It's johnnybowden.com, B-O-W-D-E-N, johnnybowden, B-O-W-D-E-N.com. Check him out. He is the rogue nutritionist in this world and a great, great guy and someone we love his energy to have back on the show. You're tuned in to David Essel Alive. More information on Dr. Johnny and all of our guests at Talk. David.com. I'm David Essel. Stay right there. Helping you to become more alive in every area of your life. We're talking with Dr. Johnny Bowden right now about weight loss, exercise being important, but it may not be the major key anymore. It looks like hormones now could hold the key to helping people lose weight, keeping it off. Dr. Johnny, you were talking before the break about wanting to keep the hormone insulin production down, and there are certain foods that we should be avoiding and maybe certain foods we should be consuming in regards to trying to get to optimum weight. Share those foods we should avoid first. Well, it's very simple. The, the, the hormone primarily responsible for storing fat is insulin. Insulin goes up when you eat certain foods and stays more moderate when you don't. So let's look at what affects insulin. There's only three categories of foods. We call them macronutrients. Everybody's heard of them. Protein, fat, carbohydrates. The greatest impact on insulin comes from carbohydrates. You want to right raise on. insulin through the roof? You eat a bunch of carbohydrates. Sugar is the, is the most impactful foods that convert to sugar very quickly, like uh, cereals and pastas and breads and all that other white stuff and processed carbs. That drives insulin through the roof. The food that has the macronutrient that has no effect on insulin, get ready for this, is fat. Fat doesn't even move the needle on insulin. And protein somewhere in between. It's not nearly as, uh, it doesn't have nearly as dramatic effect on insulin as, as uh, carbohydrate does, uh, but it doesn't have a zero effect either. And it's very satiating and it stimulates the metabolism. So the answer... Okay, Dr. Johnny, Dr. Johnny, let me ask you this question then. Is that why the Atkins diet was so heralded by many people? 
That's exactly what Atkins was the first modern. He was not the first doctor to say this. My God, this stuff goes back, you know, so far into the, the beginning of the 20th century. It goes back to Banting in 1851 when he wrote Letter on Corpulence. I mean, we've known about this for a long time, but Atkins was the first one to popularize this in America and to really get it to the attention of the public uh, and, and, and get it out of the debates in academia. So he actually brought it to the public. Of course, the medical profession was appalled. He was telling people not to eat carbohydrates. He was telling them to eat pork rinds and bacon. And, oh, my God, everybody was going to die of a heart attack. <laughs> um, as you know, you know, this is what stimulated my interest in the whole uh, mythology around cholesterol, which produced our book, The Great Cholesterol Myth. Um, so there's right. really a direct correlation between these dietary prescriptions, these, this advice to eat a high-carbohydrate diet, which has made us fat, sick, tired, and depressed, and, and produced an epidemic of, of what we call diabetes, which is both diabetes and obesity, which share a common denominator, and that common denominator is disordered carbohydrate metabolism. We're just eating too much sugar. We're driving our fat storage hormone insulin through the roof. We're making it store everything into the fat cells. We're giving ourselves diabetes, metabolic syndrome, and heart disease. And it's really coming not from fat, but from sugar. So if someone wanted to go on a long-term correct eating program, would you, and you know, I remember reading something at Duke University, Dr. Johnny, a couple years ago, saying that the Atkins diet was extremely effective, not only in helping people to lose weight, but even in bringing their blood cholesterol, blood fat levels into alignment, which, and I don't know if that's true or not, you can update us on that, but which most quote-unquote health professionals have been telling us to stay away from the Atkins diet, is that a diet, a safe diet to follow, do you think? Yeah, well, look, I've said for years, I mean, I, I've been, it's, I, I don't think it's anything, you know, Atkins was definitely the first to popularize this, but he's not the only one who's talked about this sort of stuff over the last 30 years. has been Mike and Mary Dan Eads with Protein Power. Uh, there's the Duquesne, the, the Duquesne diet from uh, from Par- from. From France, it was very popular about a year ago uh, uh, because that's what the, uh, the the young princess Kate uh, was on for her wedding. Uh, there, there have been these the, these diets that are uh, attempts to control insulin have been around, you know, since 1851. So right. Atkins was entirely right. Insulin is the main propon- the main driver of fat storage, it, but it's not the only. The Atkins approach isn't the only way to manage uh, a sugar and 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 uh, insulin. It's perfectly effective. It works. It does all these wonderful things that you've heard it does. Some people find it a little restricted. They might want a, a different modification of it. There's nothing magical about it. Any of these paleo programs, you know, as you may right. or may not know, and a, a shameless promotion for my own program, Unleash Your Thin is the first diet program I've actually written and put my name on. And uh, it, it definitely borrows things from the Atkins uh, uh, play, playbook because a lot of those things work. You know, you want to control blood sugar and insulin. Well, no matter how you do it, that's what's got to be the goal if you're going to, you know, eventually allow your fat cells to open up their goodies and, and release the fatty acids yeah. into the bloodstream. You're going to have to get your insulin levels down. And whether you do it, you know, my program does it a little more gently and works a little more on the psychological aspects of cravings and, and, you know, repetitive behaviors around foods that we get addicted to. So we take a lot of time and, and, and put a lot of effort into that part, which isn't really in the Atkins program. But, you know, the basics of getting rid of these uh, high-sugar foods, you know, that is, that's a, 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 a 
feature of Atkins. It's a feature of my program, Unleash Your Thin. It's a feature of Protein Power. It's even a feature of the Zone Diet, which isn't even really a low-carb diet. So, you know, I don't think we can get away from the fact that fat is driven by hormones, and unless we can do something to control those hormones, we are going to be at a loss when it comes to weight loss. You know, um, friends of mine that are competitive bodybuilders, figure champions, they always say that 85%, once they, once someone gets into a regular exercise program, meaning strength training, cardio, etc., that 85% of the changes that they see is dietary related. Uh, well, I think that that's probably, you know, I don't know that we can put a, a definite number on it, but that if you talk to any health professional and you say if you put a gun to my head and you had to pick diet or exercise as the most effective way to drop fat, every one of them would say diet. I mean, it's right. just a no contest. Uh, that, again, doesn't mean exercise doesn't count. The research shows that you can't really, it's almost impossible to maintain weight loss unless you're exercising. So it's wonderful for, maintain, for maintenance. Um, it's not so wonderful as a stimulator of exercise in the absence of a major dietary change because you're just not going to be able to exercise enough to compensate you know, for a really bad, high-carb diet that's driving up your fat storage hormone. If, is your, where, where can people find out about your program, Unleash Your Thin? Unleash Your Thin is on my website. There's a, a link, a, a click-through right to the publisher, uh, right on johnnybowden.com, J-O-N-N-Y-B-O-W-D-E-N.com. But again, as I say, um, you know, there's a lot in, we talked about this a little bit earlier in the show before the break, uh, the old advice about obesity, that it's simply about eating too many calories and not exercising right. enough, is very, very out of date, and it's victimized a lot of people because a lot mm. of people who are heavy or even obese are not, they're actually following our advice, and it's not working. And, in, right. and, and you know, there's a big kind of, uh, 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 there's a lot of people in the, obese, in the obesity treatment community who think, well, you know what, they must be lying. They've got to be eating more calories or they're not exercising. And in some cases that might be true, but in some cases it's not. And, yes. and the fact is that this is just more complicated than we ever thought it was. And I think it's very sad that we're kind of blaming, you know, the victim here instead of looking at what are the hormonal drivers and what, you know, what can we do about fixing those. Otherwise, we're just looking at these folks and saying, oh, you're all, you all have no willpower and you're, you're just right. rotten. And that's just, A, not true, and B, un very cruel. Well, you know, Dr. Johnny, we have 60 seconds left. I remember doing a report on our show about a study out of the University of Florida with obesity, and they found there that only 6% of obese people actually had a genetic link to obesity, and they were talking about the very thing that you're discussing on the show right now. I want to encourage you, ladies and gentlemen, to go to johnnybowden.com, J-O-N-N-Y-B-O-W-D-E-N. Check out all of his work, including Unleash Your Thin. Dr. Johnny, it was great having you back thank you sir thank you so much it was a pleasure being with you all right we'll do it again dr johnny 1-800-548-8255 visit his website johnnybowden.com j-o-n-n-y-b-o-w-d-e-n i love this guy i think his work is exceptional and you will too much more coming up call me 1-800-548-TALK 800-548-TALK i'm david essel stay there so baby, whenever you're
my little gal pal, Selena. When you're ready, come and get it. Speaking of being ready and come and get it, we just got a text in. Then we're going to go to your phone calls. If you want to call us and talk about topics on your mind, 1-800-548-8255, 1-800-548-8255. Um, I watched one of your YouTube videos on sexual compatibility. What do you do if you're dating someone whose sex drive is lower than yours? And this is, this is, I'll read the rest of it when we come back in a moment, but this is not unusual. If you have someone, if you're dating someone, you know how the beginning of the dating, like, you know, everyone's rabbits, right? You just can't get enough. I mean, not everyone, but a lot of people. You can't get enough. You want all the time. You want to be kissing and touching and making love and doing all these wonderful things. And then all of a sudden you find out down the road that, wow, that was the beginning, but it sure isn't the ending of this chapter. What do you do? What do you do? Do you stay? Do you go? Do you go into therapy? Do you go into counseling? Do you accept the fact that this person just isn't going to be at the same level as you? Do what would you do? Well, I'm going to be getting your feedback and we'll be talking to more people about this in just a moment. 1-800-548-8255. 1-800-548-8255. Five, five. It's going to be just amazingly awesome to get the responses. And feel free to call if you've ever been in that situation. Like, would you stay? Were you, were you ever in a situation where you had a much higher or a much lower sex drive than your partner? Were you willing to stay? Did it work out? 1-800-548-8255. So we'll continue with this topic. Well, let's go to North Carolina. Colin, you're on with David Essel. Hey, David. It's Colin. It's great to talk to you again. Colin, it's awesome to have you on the show, my man. What's on your mind? Hey, you know, you were uh, you were talking earlier about the resentment where people hold on to that. And, uh, you know, I tried to a brief text and said, you know, boy, have I seen that. It's a third-party observer. And I thought it would be great to, to just share because, you know, that's how we grow in things. And, nice. uh, you know, I, as a third-party observer to where some people had got together, some friends, mutual friends had got together for uh, to have a roommate situation, and they, they didn't put anything into writing. And when it came right down to it, nothing was really, uh, it wasn't working out in the long run. One thought they owed more money than the other thought that they owed, and it ended up going to court, and the court sided with the person who said, no, she had paid it all, but she still had overpaid, but never got her money back. Well, she's still living in the world of resentment, whereas mm. the other person had moved on. And as a third party, I, I really didn't want to take sides on either side, you know? Sure. Um, but what I see is that the person who's holding on to this resentment spends a lot of weekends alone. And instead mm. of forgiving and moving on or having a conversation about it, goes into a, like a mindset of anger every time she talks about it instead of Letting the and how long go, ago, think, Colin, how long ago did this, you know, how long ago was it resolved, at least from the court's point of view? How long ago was it resolved? Um, over a year. A year and two months now. Okay. So I'm so glad you brought this up. You know, time heals nothing when it comes to resentments. Yes. And and what yes. Colin was was referring to in the beginning of the show, I talked about, is there such a thing as justifiable resentments? And the answer is no. But time doesn't heal. We have worked, and Colin, I know you have worked with people as well, that you know, 2, yes. 10, 20, 30 years after a divorce, they still have resentments against their former partner for cheating on them, taking their money, 
uh, abusing them, whatever it might be. And they were thinking that, well, if enough time goes underneath the bridge, I'll be fine. But it never does. So your your person that you're talking about here that still has the resentment for the live-in situation there's nothing that's going to be done until they do the work to release that resentment, and it's usually done in writing. Right, right. And she's a wonderful artist, but I even see it come out in her art. She's not even releasing herself wow. to be at her fullest potential. You know, right. She, she's on the cusp of huge breakthrough with her artwork, but I can see that the anger comes through in her stuff because she doesn't hold herself as you know, being enough to be worthy to go after that goal because she's still angry about what somebody did yes. or their agreement that didn't work out before. Well, Colin, I'm so glad you called with this because this is important. You know, ladies and gentlemen, when you hold on to resentment and, and you think it's justifiable, and none of them are because of the stories I told you at the beginning of the show of people that have moved on and released much more difficult resentments than you and I will ever face, pray to God. But um, but it, it diminishes our energy on a daily basis. It diminishes our positive attitude. It diminishes our creativity. It diminishes every part. It diminishes our spiritual path. It diminishes every part. Our resentment will diminish every part of your existence. Absolutely. 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 I love it, Colin. I love it. Hey, Colin, thank thank you so much for sharing that story. And I will, hey, I might see you at next weekend's Life Mastery Workshop. That's affirmative. We have a a clinic down that way for our business and Depending on if we get some contracts on, I may actually be at that workshop. And for those that would who be... haven't attended it, definitely yes. need to consider it. It was a life-changing aspect for my wife and I. Yes, and 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 uh, Colin's coming from North Carolina. We've got another XM listener coming from New York. Another one from Minnesota. We've got people coming from Boston, Spain. For God's sake, Colin, I'm going to look forward to seeing you next Saturday and Sunday. You have a great day, and say hi to Chris for me. Well, do David. You have an awesome evening. Okay, thank you, man. Bye-bye. Yeah, man. Bye-bye. Okay, hey, and, and ladies and gentlemen, you're listening. You know what Colin just said? Colin had attended a past Life Mastery Weekend workshop. He went through many of them, as a matter of fact. And go to our website right now, talkdavid.com. Go and sign up. These This workshop, next weekend, the 27th, 28th in Fort Myers, Florida, it's 100% money-back guarantee. There is no risk. That's how confident we are. You know, since 1991... All of my one-on-one coaching work and all of my weekend workshops have been 100% money-back guaranteed. If you don't walk away rocked, at the end of 30 days, if your life isn't moving in a powerful direction because you've done all the work that we've recommended, your money will be returned. That's how confident we are. Okay, so let me go back to this email. I watched one of your, actually it's a text, I watched one of your YouTube videos on sexual compatibility. What do you do if you're dating someone whose sex drive is lower than yours? I'm 36, my boyfriend's 39. I love sex daily, he's fine one time a week or once every two weeks. You mentioned people like me can get frustrated and hold resentments. Here we go back to resentments, right? Do I just have to pleasure myself daily and grab sex when he wants it? Shouldn't he be willing to do this even if he's not in the mood? Help us out. What do you think? 1-800-748-8255. Excuse me. 1-800-548-8255. 1-800-548-8255. Do you think that if you're with someone and your sexual drives are not compatible, that whoever has the higher drive should just have to take care of themselves 99% of the time or 90% of the time? Do you think the partner should like um, buck up, come to the plate, and take care of their partner even if their drives aren't equal? 
What would you do if you're in that circumstance? Would you stay in that relationship? Would you leave it? Would you go get professional help? Like, what would you do if you were in a relationship, as this woman is who wrote to us, who has a desire to be intimate with her partner every day, and the partner has an interest once a week or once every two weeks? What would you do? Call me, 1-800-548-8255. You can text us, at, and we've got text coming in already, 941-266-7676, 941-266-7676 is a text, but call me, 1-800-548-8255. A text just came in, well, I, please don't mention my name. I was just going to mention their name. Okay, I promise I will not. Um, in this circumstance, without a doubt, the partner with the low sex drive has to come to the plate, do what's necessary to keep the other partner happy. Another text just came in. Okay, the second one's from a woman. Um, I think she's going to have to learn how to take care of herself. If she doesn't, there will be resentments from both sides and the relationship will end. Fascinating. What do you think with this circumstance? Have you been there? What would you do if you were in a relationship with someone that you were not compatible with sexually? 1-800-548-8255. We'll be taking your calls. We'll be taking your texts. We'll see what does America think about this? You know, last week we had a couple guests on that listened to the whole show before they were on, and they said, oh, my God, David, finally, someone in America who talks openly and lovingly about sex. Yes, we do. Call me, 800-548-8255. More information on all we do is at talkdavid.com. I'm David Essel. Stay right there. Uh, little Janet Jackson Control. Thank you, Nathan. I love that song. 1-800-548-8255. So your sex life is not working. And you happen to be dating someone or married to someone whose sex drive is much lower than yours. What do you do about that? We received multiple texts in. We're going to go to Astrid in Florida in just a second. Uh, on the phones, Dan wrote in and said, David, this is a huge topic. I believe you have to be ready to please your partner or they will stray, comma, or shut down if you're the person with the lower sex drive, 1-800-548-8255. What do you think about that? Have you been in that circumstance with someone with the lower sex drive than you? Or were you the person with the lower sex drive? Did it work? How did you get around it? How did you um, negotiate it? How did you compromise? How did you make it work? Would you stay if you were the person with the high sex drive? Or would you stay if you were the person with the low sex drive? The person with the low sex drive might be going, oh, my God, give it a break. I made love to you two weeks ago. Isn't that enough? And the person with the high sex drive says, no, it's not. I need it every day. 1-800-548-8255. Text 941-266-7676. Let's go to Astrid in Florida. You're on with David Essel. Hi, David. How are you? Hey, awesome, Astrid. What's your thoughts on this? Well, I, I mean... Being 39 and being a male, I would say that it's very unusual for a man of that number to have a low sex drive, and it's going to cause frustration and it's going to cause issues in the relationship. So I would say that that person needs to find out if there's something physiologically wrong or if there's something going on in the relationship because the partner is going to start having low self-esteem, that's for sure. Mm. Now, have you been, have you been in, a, in a relationship where you were lower than or higher than your partner? Uh, yeah, both. 
<laughs> Bo- oh, really? Uh, really? Yeah. And, I've experienced and, and, both, depending on, of course, stress level effects. When, yeah, yeah, I've been sure. I've been in both situations, but being I've been in a, I was in a situation with a man where he had lower sex drive than me, and it was extremely frustrating. And eventually, I started feeling like there was something wrong with me, and then, you know, that was that was causing problems in the relationship. So, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and what happened when you were the one with the higher sex drive and the guy had a lower sex drive? How did the relationship end? Well, we went for counseling, and then we found out that there was something going on physiologically, and so we were we were able to resolve it. Okay, well, that's good to hear. Okay, nice. So, yes, hormones on either the male or the female side can play havoc with sex drive. Um, resentments on either side can play havoc with a sex drive. Okay, Astrid, then you said that you were also in a relationship where you had the lower sex drive and your partner had the higher sex drive, and what was going on there? Well, that was stress-related, stress and then, then I found out that my stress level obviously affected my home level, and once I was able to balance that, I was back and bouncing again. <laughs> back and bouncing again. Great choice of words. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So if you were in that circle, or let, let's even ask this, since this listener wrote in, if you were in her, in, her, in her shoes, and she was in this relationship with a guy, and he really was fine with it once every couple weeks, and she wanted it every day, so you would say, obviously, go to counseling. What else? What how else would you counsel well, her? I, I would find out about his hormone levels because there's, if his hormone levels are too low, then he's not going to have high libido. If, if there's stress-related issues like work relationships that are not mm-hmm. working out, if he's having problems at work, then of course men are are the ones who are normally the the caretakers, so to speak, when it comes to financial. They still have the roles that that affects the man's sex drive a lot. However, I would definitely have to go to the bottom of it to find out what's truly going on because that man is far too young to have low libido. Yeah, at 39, I could not agree with you more. The other thing that we haven't mentioned, Astrid, and for our listeners, is that addiction can get in the way of sex drive, whether it's a food addiction, an alcohol addiction, a drug addiction, any addiction whatsoever can get in the way and start to negatively affect the sex drive. Astrid, I want to thank you so much for being a part of our show. Yes, absolutely, and I, I would say that the, the most important thing is for that person, if he's going to go and get hormone tested, then he should go with bioavailable hormones, or otherwise they're really dangerous for the body. If they don't go with a, with a hormone that is uh, in line and sync with the body's natural physiological order, so to speak. Right, right, and thank you for that thought. Mm-hmm. Thanks a lot. Okay, bye-bye now. Call me, 1-800-548-8255. Astrid brought, you know what, I love the fact that Astrid, not because she would probably want to hear me say this, but I'm glad that she was on both sides of the fence. In a relationship where her sex drive was higher, in a relationship where her sex drive was lower, she found out stress was one of the reasons for her sex drive to drop. What would you do in that circumstance? Have you been in that circumstance? What would you advise our listener who wrote in this? You know, being in a situation where that you have a high sex drive as a female and your partner's is lower, Astrid nailed something when she said, you know, eventually it's going to start to beat up. It could start to beat up the woman's self-esteem. Like, what's wrong with me? Am I not attractive enough? Am I not sexy enough? Am I not sexual enough for my partner, right? Hey, the other thing I want to mention, gang, when it comes to hormone checks, do not go to your general doctor doctor. 
to get your hormones checked. Do you really have to go to a hormone specialist? Your general doctor is a great guy or a great woman, but when it comes to testosterone levels and estrogen levels, when it comes to those, there's multiple forms and multiple tests that must be done in order to find the truth. Like a general testosterone test is not enough. You have to find multiple forms of testosterone tests to see what the truth is. Um, and anyway, your doctors will be able to explain that. I'm not a medical doctor. Uh, texting here right now, 941-266-7676. This is an interesting text. I'm on the low sex drive end of a relationship, and I enjoy taking care of my partner's needs. He takes care of mine by just holding me after making love. But oftentimes, making love isn't the traditional kind. I do what he desires to have his release, and then he just holds me. You know, and, and I want to share something with you. I think that is such an exceptional answer. One of the things in our workshops, we've got a big weekend workshop coming up in September on intimacy and love, and we did a warm-up not too long ago on that very topic. And one of the things that we shared is that in really healthy relationships, you're going to go through periods where one partner is really stressed, maybe more stressed than the other. Um, we're going to go through times when one partner may not feel for whatever reason um, as intimate as to, as have, having the same desire. And the couples that we've worked with over the years, when there's been an unequal desire, an unequal libido, whether it's ongoing or just short-term stress-related, those couples that eventually make it are those that find a way to take care of their partner's needs, even if they're not even if they're not in the mood. It's, I'll tell you, last, was it last week or the week before I did this lecture? And I think that afterwards, that was, there was two things that drew a lot of attention from the people in the audience. And number one was this topic I'm talking about right now. And some at first, I think, took it offensively. Like, no, if I'm not in the mood, I'm not going to take care of him or her. That was like, that's the traditional freaking approach in relationships, and it never works. All it does is create resentments. Honey, I'm not in the mood. I told you that earlier today. I told you that yesterday. I told you that the day before. You don't understand. I have a headache. You don't understand. I have the stress. You don't understand. You, 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 right? That never worked. It never will work. It's going to create frustration on both sides. Do you know on average, if you know your partner's bodies well, that you may have to spend five or eight minutes out of a 24-hour period or maybe at the most 12 or 15 minutes in order to help your partner reach that state of release? And you're telling me, now I'm not talking about if you have a 110-degree fever and you're puking. (laughs) <laughs> Isn't that a great visual? You're throwing up and your partner's standing behind me. Hey, as soon as you're done with that last throw up, could you just turn around and take care of me? <laughs> no, we're not talking about that. We're not saying if someone is deathly ill that they owe you this. But what we're saying is, is that it's short of that. Spend eight minutes on your partner. Oh, my gosh. Spend eight minutes of your day. You have 24 hours in a day. Tell them you love them and you'd love to take care of them. Tell, I mean, really, seriously, ladies and gentlemen, and I don't care if this is one of the only shows in America that you're going to hear this type of advice on. We've been doing this for 20-plus years, well, 30 years, really, one-on-one for 20-plus years, and we can tell you that the couples that follow this, this credo are happy. They don't have resentments because they realize that when it's their turn and they don't feel like it, but they go ahead and take care of their partner, 
that the relationship is going to flourish, prosper. It's going to get to the place where everyone wants it to be because those individuals are doing the uncommon acts. They're actually communicating, talking, and then they're cuddling and holding hands in public. And they're looking in each other's eyes. And there's so much more to come. TalkDavid.com for more information. I am glad you're with us. Be bold, be strong, be positive. I'm David Essel. Stay there.